Hello and welcome to the second episode of Coffee Shop Chat, the podcast where we look at the world of diversity and inclusion by chatting to some really inspirational people over a cuppa and asking them to share their experiences with us. Today, me and Rhea are super excited to invite our lovely colleague Jasky along, who actually heads up our diversity and inclusion here at Nudge. Today, she wanted to kind of share her story and also delve into Visaki, a bit more about the Sikh community and, and what that's like. Also look into gender equality and what's happening in India at the moment, because we know that's close to her heart. So welcome, Jasky. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. How are you today? Hi, Rach. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Very good. Um, yeah, as mentioned, we're really excited to have you on today. So yeah, as obviously you know, we're running these podcasts and uh, coffee shop chats. You know, if we were in the coffee shop right now um, and we were sat having a conversation about um, what we're going to discuss today, what your order would be? Oh, I'd have to go for the normal hot chocolate with whipped cream and marshmallows. All the works. Good. <laughs> How about you, Ree? Um, what's my fancy today? I don't know. I think I'm in need of a bit of a coffee boost. So maybe I would just go for an Americano. Nice. I like that. And what about you, Rach? Um, I think I'd go for a caramel latte with lots of froth. Um, nice. And I've actually haven't had breakfast, so actually a snack might be quite nice. <laughs> so yeah, that's probably what I'd go for. But yeah, hopefully soon, very soon we'll be able to actually sit in a coffee shop together and do this in person. So fingers crossed that would be great so yeah Jasky um so excited to have you here I guess you know this is really important to you and you wanted to talk about um a couple of things today because yeah diversity inclusion is something that's very close to your heart so I don't know if you wanted to just delve into that and why you wanted to be on the podcast today yeah so I realized once I started my career and getting into work after you D&I was actually something I was really passionate about without actually knowing kind of what it meant but I knew there were certain areas that I was really interested in and wanting to educate people so one of them for me would be my religion so I was born into a Sikh family and just I want to share what that kind of means in like the modern world and what it means sort of in the west and away from India from where it obviously originated so I'm hoping in this podcast you can learn a lot about me uh, also about the religion and then quite a bit about what's going on in India and how that affects a lot of those who have migrated away from India and into the sort of West. And I guess one of the reasons that we kind of wanted to talk to you specifically this month was because um, it was the Sikh festival of Vasuki. Um, are you able to just kind of go into share maybe a little bit more about what, what that kind of means? Yeah, of course. So that was on the 13th of April. And normally, because obviously we're still in COVID, we would, the Sikh community would hold like huge like parades around towns where we would like sing prayers and offer out free food and like education books to anyone who wanted to join. So though it would be mainly Sikhs, everyone and anyone would be welcome to take part. So you may have seen it before where we've got like huge Sikh temples or gurdwaras or like Birmingham, Southall, uh, like Manchester. You may have seen it and be like, oh, the roads are blocked, but it's normally just us parading around, celebrating our faith and religion. Mm -hmm. So this year is a bit different because it also, along with the religion side of it, it's a harvest festival in Punjab. So we've got farmer protests that have been going on since November last year. So I thought it'd be a good topic to cover as obviously they're providing the harvest, not only for India, but the pretty much the whole world. 
So I thought it would be a good way for people to be educated on a topic they maybe haven't seen so much, but it is over social media. I would really like to know just a little bit more about Saki. Um, are you able to just kind of, yeah, tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so I suppose there's two parts to it. So Vasaki is sort of the formation of the Khalsa, which is like the Sikh religion. It's the day that we all kind of got our names. So Singh and Kaur, both meaning lion or lioness. And it's just showing equality in men and women within the religion. So it was in 1699 that this whole event happened. And it was when the 10th Guru, Guru Gobind Singh Ji, said you're all equal and sort of baptised Sikhs. So when you see a Sikh with a, a turban and you may see them with a dagger, a small dagger, they're a baptised Sikh, so they'd have a full beard as well. And it just kind of is our uniform, I would say. It's like the Sikh uniform. You can recognise a Sikh with a turban and the sword and it goes the same for women. So the whole thing is that we're completely equal. So what men can do, women can also do. So that's like the origin. And that was in like Punjab, North or West of India. It's a state in India, borders uh, Pakistan. It was so it wasn't really like solidified and seen as a world religion until like 1699, the 1700s, when more people be would become like initiated Sikhs, baptized Sikhs. And then you have like us normal Sikhs like myself who still cut their hair and like we'll drink and eat meat. So we're not baptized, but we still try and follow some of the teachings. So there's like five Ks to Sikhism. Mm -hmm. So you may see that people are like a still bangle on their right wrist. That's probably the easiest way you can recognize. So I remember in school, mine always used to like hit the desk during exams <laughs> and it used to wind people up. But that's probably the easiest way you can recognize a non-baptized Sikh is they'd have a silver bangle on their right arm. Five symbols, is that something that you have to wear like all the time or like you have to have some one of those symbols on all yes, the time? Yes, so if you were a baptised seat, you'd have all five. So you've got the first K is a gurban, which is the dagger. So only a baptised seat would carry that. And it's a sense of you use it as a last resort to say, to help people. You don't use the first one. It's not for ourselves, it's for others. So the whole point of Sikhism is like we're there to protect others and help others and push equality across the whole human race. Um, you've got gas, which is your hair. So our hair is sacred, it's a gift from God. It grows, so it's like alive, so you shouldn't cut it. Like you shouldn't, so if you were to go through, so a baptized Sikh was told to save their life, they'd have to shave a bit of the hair off to have surgery or something. You would say no, and you would choose death. That's the extreme. You've got gara, which is the still bangle. And it shows that your the deeds that you do with your hands should be good and pure because you're tied to God when you're wearing it. Um, you've got gacha, which is like underwear, boxer shorts. It's just talking about like being clean. So you shower twice a day and before you pray. And then you've got ganga, which is a really small comb that you would keep in your hair. And you'd use that to brush your hair twice a day because it stops you tugging out loads of hair. It's like keeping it tidy and clean because it's so sacred. So you probably would only see about two of those, three of those things. You see the turban, maybe the dagger, and then the bangle in a baptized Sikh. And then the other, you probably, you wouldn't see them or people don't really wear them or use them as much. So for me, I've tried to keep my hair long, but I do still cut it. You want to fit in kind of with the modern society, I suppose, rather than having really long hair. Would like, you know, full on Sikhs disapprove with the fact that maybe you're not 
maybe you're cutting your hair or yes so like I suppose even like my grandparents are they're not baptized it's always been you should keep your hair long Mm. like it's the thing about me like you've got long hair like you're a good girl you're closer to God because you've kept it Mm. so cutting it they're kind of like you're taking away a part of your identity I suppose so you, as at a young age, you are kind of pressured to maybe keep your hair or do certain things. But obviously, as you get older and you're in the Western world, you kind of just become part of the culture of the country you're living in. With people like in the diaspora coming to the other countries in the West, you've had things like 9-11. You've had like the racism where men don't keep the turban and the beard because they're targeted as another group and it's seen as a negative thing. And I suppose women in today's society I don't know if any of you've seen a baptized Sikh woman but it's it's like new to you it's I suppose it's strange so it causes that kind of fear and the question like you're not sure and I suppose some of them because they don't shave their faces or wax or whatever it may be they do have facial hair so it's a thing that they have to face like you need to be very I suppose confident in God and your values to be able to sort of be happy with how you look and not change it so yeah there's definitely a shift in not being so traditional and so strict with the religion. I guess that leads on quite nicely to gender equality. Does gender equality exist? So within Sikhism, yeah. So we, I think it was one of the first religions to have female priests. Um, and you would have like women who fought in battles and wars as well. So they're seen on the same level. They could like, they can wear that same uniform. So it's like complete equality. Like we're on the same level. Whatever a man can do, a woman can also do. And there's a saying within the scriptures that says, like, from her, kings are born. Like, man is born from a woman. So without a woman, like, like you can't reproduce. Like, there is no way. Mm-hmm. So why should she not be seen as just as powerful, if not more, than a man? I just wondered, because I know, obviously, you've talked before about, I guess, the kind of gender within the Punjabi community and kind of how potentially... there's not such equality is that right yeah so the religion itself teaches equality but then there's always that battle of religion and culture so the culture side of it is women are beneath men and like enslaved to men because that was the old way of thinking in India but then that's where the religion came in so within Hinduism is where it started from is like Guru Nanak was like why is my sister doing this to me like it doesn't make sense we're both human beings we're both on the same level she's my sister so why am I more powerful than her? Why am I seen better than her? And that's how like Sikhism kind of came about. He was like, no, like we should eradicate all these gender things. It was eradicated that women wouldn't have to kill themselves when the husband died. So in India, you burn bodies. So like Hindus and Sikhs will burn a body, we're cremated. So if your husband died until, I can't remember what the year was, you would burn with him on the pyre alive. So you would be alive. And without man, like there's no purpose for you. Interesting. Do you think that quality has changed at all over time? Like, quite. I say culturally, it's getting a bit more balanced. Like you're seeing men are now, I suppose, more domesticated. It's not like a stay-at-home wife and like a housewife. Balance is becoming. Yeah, it's balancing out as the generations are going on. But traditionally, it's the older generation, like my grandparents, my parents, are still very much the man is like the highest, and you take orders from him. Do you think there's still a stigma then around when babies are born that people would prefer to have a male baby generally yeah so there's a lot of like charities and pages now that advocate for girls being born so there's like a festival that takes place when you've got like a when a baby boy is born 
in like sometime in January and you'd celebrate the birth of a baby boy but the birth of a baby girl is like you just don't celebrate it because she's essentially like a burden on the family but that is also becoming less and less apparent in families but there are still some families that are, are disappointed when a girl is born which is why they choose maybe to keep pregnancies like the gender they don't won't do a gender rule until like you'll see at the end because it's still on the older generation in the family what they will think and it's how they could pressurise the, the woman. So interesting to hear. Like, yeah, wow, very eye-opening. Definitely. I just wondered in terms of your sense of identity, like, would you would you identify as, as Indian? Or would you say you would always ident- identify more as kind of um, Punjabi? So I used to. I would call myself Indian and be proud. But after hearing what is going on in India to specifically the Sikh community... I don't at all. Like I say I'm South Asian. I can't change that because I am from India. But I was born in England as well. So I don't actually have that part. So I'm British, but I'd always identify as Sikh. So not even Punjabi, just Sikh, just my religion over anything, which was obviously in the census. It was an option to put that came out in the census a couple of months ago. I think it's just an age thing. Like as I learn more, I'm changing what I identify as. It's a journey. <laughs> really is journey to find out who I really am <laughs> I thought it was interesting when we were talking before um and you were saying there's a bit of a I guess maybe clash isn't the right word but between kind of your culture like um Punjabi and then the sort of and the religion yeah like yeah I just wondered if you so I suppose like Sikhism is you don't drink you don't eat meat and like you don't get tattoos and things like that cutting your hair whereas Punjabi culture is very much known for like they're drinking and eating a lot of meat so you may know like you've got so Sikh weddings for example you'd have like an open bar there'll be bottles of alcohol on every table and it is pretty much getting drunk and celebrating and dancing so there's always been that clash which even at a young age I wasn't aware I thought they were the same thing so you're going to a Sikh wedding and you're having like the temple part of it and the religious part as soon as that's done you're into the party and you're you're drinking you're eating meat and you're not really given a care, like religion kind of goes. So there is like a huge clash in knowing when someone says to you, like, kind of, what are you? What's your ethnicity? Do you pick your culture? Do you pick your religion, I suppose? And it's only for university that I realise there's a huge difference. And if I was looking at myself as a Sikh, I'm pretty low and bad at being a good proper Sikh, I would say, because I've got more of the Punjabi culture in myself than the religion. And in terms of like university, did you see there was quite a big community of Sikhs? And I think you mentioned previously to me and Marie that you learned a lot from, from people at university because um, there's obviously different levels of, of how they kind of... Yeah, so I went to Kingston. So it's close enough to West London where the biggest, I suppose, population in London of like there is Sikhs. So, and they had like, there's a lot of big Gurdwaras around Kingston's the Sikh temples in like Middlesex and Uxbridge. So we'd have people come down and do talks and they just educate you on the simplest of things. Like, why do we keep our hair? Like my family aren't, they're traditional in some senses, more of the culture than the religion. So I was kind of learning for the first time about who I was from other people at university. And then I'm coming across baptised girls and women. Like in Crawley, we don't have any or like maybe a few. So to see a baptised girl my age at university was like, wow. Like, basically, I'm like, I should be like you, is what I should be, that is the goal. But it's just facing, like, unless you're kind of brought up in that environment, 
it's hard to understand how to become that level to like accept you're perfect how you are and that's why God made you so I definitely like university was the hugest education trip in not just my degree but yeah. in who I am wow that's really inspirational and and did you find there was quite a big gap in communities this was on my course there wasn't very many South Asians or sort of anyone maybe of like that sort of background um so I stuck kind of with the society so like the Sikh society mm. basically because I realized I'm learning something about myself that I maybe didn't even know at school like my school did we didn't have many Sikhs or many other like South Asians either so I was very much like the westernized sort of British culture because I didn't know anything else or that there was something else for me to learn and connect with and then I suppose yeah at university I would have my course friends but then I'd hang around mainly with I suppose other Sikh or Punjabi people because you're going out you're listening to sort of the same music the same films and obviously like my language like I became more fluent in Punjabi. How did you find um, entering the world of work after university? Um, it actually took me a while to find a job but that's because I didn't know what I wanted to do but my first job was within like West Sussex so where I'm like from Crawley in Red Hill so it was like people that the culture was back like at school so it was sort of like more white people I would say and like there wasn't really like Eastern Europeans or anyone and a few sort of South Asians so I didn't I kind of went back to my old ways and I kind of stepped away from my religion and my culture and was kind of like, oh, I'm back at home. This is where my work is. And I was kind of like, I don't know, the odd one out because there wasn't many religious people around me or other Sikhs actually, like even on my direct team. So yeah, it was hard. And then I think moving into London where you're meeting new people from other backgrounds, I kind of slipped back into my uni ways. Like, oh yeah, like, this is actually who I am. And I do want to go to the temple on Sundays and I do want to like pick up more religious events and celebrate them and like be proud of my identity. So I think it's like coming out of my small town and moving into like London really helped me to understand my identity and be proud of it. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. It sounds like quite a journey as well. Um, do, you, do you still feel like you're on that journey? Uh, do you still feel like you've got... You know, Definitely, I think... I keep fluctuating uh, there'll be days where I'm like oh yeah properly on it and like feeling really religious and thankful for God for everything I've got and then there's days where I, I just forget and I'm just like everyone else and you just feel sad for yourself and you just like get on with your day and you don't think about anything you just think how can I have fun and that could be like going out or just whatever it may be but I think with diversity inclusion and nudge is now bringing out that side of me again I want to educate people I want to have a conversation with everyone I want people to know like this is who I am this is where I come from and hoping it would trigger the same conversations from others so I can learn about other people's backgrounds and their identity as well and how they see themselves in the world absolutely like I mean for me for example I feel very sheltered sometimes from what's going on and even like having a conversation like this with you it really it's quite eye-opening and a real learning curve to know like how diverse you know the world is out there and how much we can learn from each other so yeah this is like a really valuable conversation for I think a lot of us in terms of what we can do and how we can kind of open up the conversation more and learn about each other um yeah I think it's nice just to delve a little bit below the surface isn't it you know we all know each other on kind of 
in a work capacity but actually yeah to kind of find out people's kind of wants needs desires um like all of their yeah identity background all of that yeah like definitely I remember at one point I remember thinking I've got brown skin but I don't see myself as like being brown or South Asian like I'm just another person like everyone else is around me and it's not till you like look at yourself you're like oh yeah there are things about me that are different and I think we've all got that within us so Rachel you said you feel sheltered but there's probably a lot about you that is unique that other people haven't Mm. experienced or seen and it's Mm. just like sharing it even though you may think it's boring it's probably not we could all learn a lot from each other yeah no that's a very good point actually I didn't think of it like that (laughs) thank you for sharing yeah I like the way that exactly it makes you I guess reflect on yourself a lot more like I think sometimes I guess you know in this time of lockdown we've had a lot more time to kind of self-reflect but it is it's difficult sometimes to actually just kind of sit down and take that time and um yeah just think about like who am I what makes me tick where have I come from what's important to me all of those kind of questions um but I think like having the space with the kind of DNI meetings and steering group and stuff like just is really helpful in, in kind of making you think about those things which is great yeah and I suppose with social media now it's easier to find people to like to connect with or to learn things mm. like it's all there at your fingertips now whereas before it, it wasn't and you'd have to make people the newspaper or it wasn't spoken about as much whereas now it's a much more open accepting world and it's just you can search anything you wanted and it's there and it helps you with those first steps of just finding out something on the most maybe obscure thing I think that's even like the case you know we're we're at home more like maybe you know we're watching the news more as well and there's a lot more going on in the world that I think we're all starting to learn more about uh, like climate change you know protests and everything like that so I think yeah it's a really valuable time to learn about what's going on in the world because yeah it's tough at the moment even from Covid but all around the world there's people struggling with different things um and I guess actually that leads on probably quite nicely, Jasky, to kind of a subject that's quite close to your heart today or like at the moment in terms of the protests in the farmers in India. So yeah. I don't know if you wanted to, because I know you want to share this and kind of open up and, and make people more aware of it because it's maybe not covered as much on the news as you know you would like it to be. But I don't know if that's something you wanted to touch upon and, and talk about. Yeah, today. so I suppose there are two parts to the Saki. So the first part is obviously the religion and Sikhism. And the formation but the second part is it's the harvest festival that's what it's known as in Punjab so at the moment there's a farmer's protest going on in India it's been going on since November so it's about 135 days now and it's been going on there's been 350 deaths over, over 135 days of farmers in India protesting for these new bills that the Indian government are trying to pass so essentially it takes away sort of a minimum wage so now farmers are being exploited or will be exploited once the bill's passed. They can sell, their crops can be sold for the smallest amount. They're not guaranteed a price. So just imagine yourselves applying for a job and they're saying, actually, on this day, I'm going to pay you five pound. But next week, I only feel like paying you a pound. And there's the whole thing with the COVID and the pandemic of financial well-being. But we're forgetting about the people who aren't in corporate companies who don't have anyone fighting for them. Like we're talking about farmers in a state where not everyone has access to Wi-Fi. Like they're small villages of people and farming in India is like 58% of the occupation. 
So they're feeding the, they're not only feeding India, they're feeding the world. So India produces, it's got the biggest spices. So you've got like pepper, turmeric and cinnamon. So you think about it when you go to Costa or Starbucks and you want a cinnamon latte or something, or like pumpkin spice and turmeric coffees in the winter. Where is that coming from? It's coming from these farmers in India that people don't know about necessarily or aren't thinking too much about because it's not at their front door and they're not seeing it. But these farmers are in their 80s and their 70s and it goes all the way down to young children of like two and three who have been on the streets in Delhi through the harsh winters for over 135 days. They've also had their facilities taken from them. So toilets, they're not allowed access to toilets. They're not allowed access to clean water. They're just sleeping out in the open. And it's been a lot of charities have been helping them. And it's like, how can you have a harvest festival when you're not appreciating the people that allow the harvest to feed the world? So although it's a farmer's protest, it's kind of a human protest because without farmers, yeah. you can't go into Tesco and you can't buy your shopping. Like it's a huge thing and it's on social media, but the Indian government are restricting it. So you'll mm -hmm. see the hashtags, but they get taken down. So Twitter, in India, they put out, if you see a hashtag and you don't shut down that account, they're put into prison. So the human rights kind of don't exist at the moment. Like protesters have been put in prison like 30 days and they've been beaten, starved for just peacefully protesting. It's mm. the biggest protest in history. It's bigger than the civil rights movement. I mean, I was going to say, like, I'm not going to lie, I didn't really know much about the protest at all <laughs> until you mentioned it to me and really last week. And even like before this call, I did look it up and I did struggle to find much about it. So they clearly yeah. are trying to hide it. And that's really sad to hear that it could actually, it what affects everyone. And yeah, definitely like your community. And essentially it could be my grandparents had they not moved to England. Like my granddad is from farming and he would tell me stories when we were growing up. He'd work a long day and then go back to the farm and he'd have to do all that work. And it's only because of him that we're here. But that is like my family out there. It is my grandparents. And mm -hmm. seeing pictures on social media of like 70 year old men being beaten by the police, it just tears mm -hmm. you up inside. Is there anything, any kind of charities or organisations that kind of perhaps, you know, that are running petitions or, or anything that people here can do to kind of... So there was a petition passed through Parliament, but the UK government aren't really talking about it. They seem to think that it's uh, like a Pakistan-India issue, where they've had previously that's been going on in the past, whereas this is like a specific group of people are being targeted. So it's, I just want to point out, it's not just Sikh farmers, it's Hindu farmers, it's Muslim farmers, it's Christian farmers. It's all farmers in India are protesting these bills because essentially they're not going to get paid and they're already in debt. So farmer suicide is one of the biggest killers in Punjab because they can't fend for their family and they can't see them starve, that they'd rather take their lives. So there are like Khalsa Aid, it's probably the biggest charity. Um, they helped out with the Kent lorries that were stuck during COVID when everything with Brexit happened as well. So they help everyone all over the world. They're not just based on Sikh communities. They will help third world countries as well. And they've got like a Khalsa Aid India, which are helping. And also United Sikhs based in India and America. So they're offering medical care, free medical care, and as well as like therapy and talking to people 
because not only is it a financial matter, it's also a mental, mental health that they're being affected. So these farmers, it's the first time they've maybe sat down with a professional who's asked them, like, why do you feel depressed? Like, what can we do? And thinking of ways around, like, not suicide, basically. And not only that, these farmers have been giving out food. So one of the key principles of Sikhism is giving out free food, so longer. So around the borders of Delhi, there are a lot of poor, like poverty, homeless children and anyone. And it's a chance for them to come get a warm meal any time of the day. So a lot of children that maybe not been fed, it's amazing for them because they've got this opportunity Mm. to always come and get a free warm meal from the farmers. So although they're losing their wage and they've said that they're going to stay there, they'll stay there till they die. When you say they'll stay there till they die, stay where as in stay in, at the borders of or? Delhi yeah they will continue mm. to protest until the bills are t- like taken back and not passed through because essentially if they don't keep protesting they will starve anyway but they can't live mm. off not having a minimum wage so, so a lot of them try and fight yeah yeah a lot of the men have said if I don't come home like we're just dying on the streets there so I just wanted to raise awareness to this huge thing of it's meant to be a harvest festival, but and we're celebrating the harvest, but we're not celebrating the people that provide the harvest. Mm-hmm. And if this was happening in the UK, what would the UK government be doing? Like, what would be happening? What would the yeah. people in the UK be doing to the UK government? And yeah, I mean, in terms of, I think, is it the 13th? Next week, the harvest yeah. festival is supposed to be going ahead. You doing, we still be celebrating it? Like, how's that going to work? So I suppose the Harvest Festival, we wouldn't really celebrate in the UK. It would be celebrated there. But for us, we would go to the temple. Mm. And over the weekend, there'll be three days of like continuous prayers. And people would just go into the Gurdwara or the temple. But in India, Mm. they will probably still be celebrating at the borders. They will find a way to celebrate Mm. because they know that they're amazing. And they're feeding the world. And they'll show the government, you can't stop us no matter what you do. Uh, Like I know you said that obviously in terms of it's, it hasn't been widely covered in the news here but are there any kind of platforms or I don't know places that people could go to like read a little bit more about it if if they were because Instagram's probably the best place or even Twitter so mm-hmm. if you searched farmer protest you'd probably see most of the stuff going on in India a lot of pages are getting reported and blocked so though you may search it, you might not see or you only see one side of it which is like the sugar-coated side where it's not actually that bad because Mm. look the farmers are getting free medical care and they're getting this and they're getting that but uh, they have actually created their own um, newspapers the farmers because the newspapers obviously in India aren't portraying it how it should be. Nice and then I mean obviously this has had a quite big impact obviously in India and all the other communities do you think a lot of people's like mental health has has deteriorated in um, because of like an effect on this I mean have you noticed are you feeling a bit more I don't know down about the subject or do you think it's kind of brought the community closer together to like kind of combat it what's yeah it's definitely brought the community together so we have yeah. ups and downs I would say within like the Sikh community where things will happen and we'll be really united and really close mm. and then we kind of forget and it drizzles out just like so I say Black Lives Matter communities yeah. came together and then you kind of forget about it a few months down the line and then it spikes up again because of something. Looking on social media is hard during the pandemic because you're just seeing these pictures that just 
bring you to tears. And with mental health as it is already, like you're already quite vulnerable because you're not really seeing anyone and we're kept like in isolation almost. It's definitely making it harder. I definitely have harder days than I used to before. So, and this is me being like first generation, like separated from it. Some of my friends still have grandparents out there who have actually have got family members going to these protest sites. So I can't even imagine what it's doing to them, but definitely my, I think the mental health and my well-being outside of India is being affected. Mm. And then the farmers themselves, I can't imagine what they're going through. I can't even camp. Like I won't even sit in a tent with like a fire. So for them to have gone through the harsh winter and now obviously they're facing summer, so there's mosquitoes and malaria. And honestly, I give so much credit to them. Do you go over to India much? No. So I've only been twice in my life when I was four and when I was nine. And my granddad used to live out there, but he sold everything we had because he's, all his grandchildren were in the UK. So he moved over here. We've, I've still got family out there, but I don't know them. We're not close with them at all. Like my, it's like my dad's cousins and uncles. So he has a relationship, but I don't really. And then my mum's side of the family is so small that she doesn't really have anyone out there. So we're very much centralised here. And I couldn't hack the life of living like in the village you're not guaranteed wi-fi or air conditioning and obviously living here you just take it for what it is like you don't see it as as something special so i don't think i could hack it i'd have to stay in a hotel probably (laughs) and even then only a few days it's probably quite a big contrast isn't it like india to like london the heat as well humidity i remember that getting off the airplane it hit me and i was like whoa what is and like malaria tablets yeah it's not on my top spot to go like maybe other areas of India rather mm. than just Punjab. Five-star hotel and I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> I feel like we've covered so much ground there. Yeah, I know. Um, thank you so much for your time today, Jasky. It was so insightful for me and Rhi, and I'm sure it'll be very insightful and interesting to all our listeners out there today. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank Thanks you, Jasky. Um, and obviously, you know, we kind of delved into so many different uh, topics. It hasn't actually been possible to put it all into one half hour podcast. So um, we will be releasing a second kind of part to this podcast where we delve into a little bit more about kind of the juxtaposition between culture and religion. Um, so look out for that soon.